great to be together again for midweek Bible study. Have you ever had the experience of deja vu? Yeah, you know that strong sensation that an event currently being experienced has already been experienced in the past? Some studies indicate that as many as two-thirds of healthy people have experienced the feeling that they've lived through their present situation before, right? A, a little like maybe Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day or, or like Jesus' disciples with the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6 and then the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark 8. And they're gathering up the leftovers, right? Wait, we've been here before. We've, we've experienced this. Now, while David did not speak French, you know, déjà vu, David, uh, he must have had an eerie sense that he had lived through very similar situations in our passage this week, 1 Samuel 26 and 27. And that feeling of familiarity is reflected in our outline headings for this week, which are, David spares Saul again, <laughs> David speaks to Saul again, and David flees to Achish in Gath again. <laughs> it all starts in chapter 26 with David spares Saul again. You remember how the Ziphites snitched on David in chapter 23? Well, they're up to it again at the beginning of chapter 26 deja vu, uh, informing Saul that David is hiding on the hill of Hakalah, uh, east of Jeshimon. So despite his prior promises to the contrary, Saul again pursues David. Again, he's taking his elite hand-picked corps of 3,000 men, kind of like the, the army rangers of, of today, to hunt down David and his ragtag group of 600 broke, bitter malcontents, right? It has a familiar ring, doesn't it? We've, we've seen this story before. Uh, David's intel alerts him to the fact that Saul and his crew were camped nearby. And David confirms the report with his own eyes, uh, perhaps by the light of the stars or maybe the light of the moon. Uh, he's able to spot Saul laying right next to his, uh, his commander, Abner, and they're surrounded by the elite forces. David is accompanied at this time by two sidekicks, Ahimelech the Hittite, who is nowhere else mentioned in Scripture. This is his one cameo appearance. Uh, and Joab's brother, Abishai, who is the son of Zeruiah, uh, which is an important detail. Because if you look ahead to 1 Chronicles 2, 16 and 17, you'll see that Zeruiah is David's sister, and Abishai was her son. She had three sons. We'll meet them all in Samuel. In other words, Abishai was David's nephew, and he's the one who's willing to accompany his uncle by the dark of night down into Saul's camp, a daring foray of two into the midst of 3,000, right? Well, when they get to the spot where Saul is sleeping, Abishai interprets the events just like David's men did back in the cave in chapter 24. Deja vu, right? God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Please let me pin him to the earth with his own spear, right? One stroke will do the job against this defenseless enemy. Please let me have the honor, right? Uncle, I'll put your troubles to an end by putting an end to Saul. And uh, But just like back in the cave, David restrained Saul's would-be killer because 
No one can put his hand out against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. You see, even though Saul had broken his promise of non-pursuit, David is the Lord's stop sign for his nephew, keeping him from blood guilt, just as Abigail had been God's stop sign for David, keeping him from blood guilt with Nabal. And David goes one step further here, actually, than he has before. He whispers, perhaps, to Abishai that Saul's going to get what he has coming to him, right? Perhaps the Lord will directly strike him, or he'll die in battle, or some other way his day to die will come. And David seems to have learned from the situation with Nabal's heart attack that he can leave his enemies in God's hands. God's got this, right? David doesn't know how God will work precisely, but he knows that he must trust and obey. Saul's time will come, but God forbid that David should touch the Lord's anointed. So instead, they take the spear and the jar of water, which is right next to Saul's very vulnerable head, kind of a little bit like taking the corner of the robe back in the cave, Uh, And David and Abishai slip away to a safe distance on a nearby hill uh, without waking, amazingly, any of the 3,000 elite soldiers. Why? Why? A deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on all of them. See, while the king-to-be, David, plays capture the spear with the crazy king, Saul, the true king of the universe controls it all, even how deeply people sleep. Just like with Adam and Abraham back in Genesis, you could read about how the Lord put them into deep sleeps. Well, from the far-off hilltop uh, where David could be heard but not be killed, he called to the army and its commander, Abner, presumably waking him up from their deep sleep. He's like their alarm clock. And first, David kind of needles Abner for not for really fail, falling asleep on the job, right? When he was supposed to be protecting the king. See, under Abner's watch, a potential assassin had prowled right up to the king. I mean, what kind of bodyguard are you, Abner? Right? And not just him, but using the plural you in verse 16, David says, You all, all of you 3,000 elite soldiers, you deserve to die for not protecting the Lord's anointed, right? What kind of operation you're running here? Uh, And just like the corner of the robe uh, outside the cave, David has the proof right there in his hand, the king's spear and his water jar that have been right next to his exposed and very vulnerable head. They had stood over David's sleeping body with the spear in their hand. David and his nephew had the weapon and they had the opportunity to finish off Saul once and for all. And speaking of Saul, he he now chimes into the conversation. He seeks confirmation. Is that the voice of of you, my son, David? You know, he uses that term of endearment again, just like at the cave, deja vu. And now we're into our second section of David speaks to Saul again. All right, David confirms from a distance, probably still in the dark, that it is his voice, and as always, he respects Saul. He, he addresses Saul respectfully as my Lord, O King. Just as he did outside the cave, he asked Saul, why would he pursue after his innocent servant? Right? What, what has David done? What evil was in his hands? 
if the Lord, Yahweh, had stirred up Saul against then David, then David says, listen, then if that's the case, I'll make an offering to the Lord. But if it was just people, right, then David calls on them to be cursed before the Lord because really his pursuers were driving David out of the promised land of Israel, away from God's covenant people. It was as though his pursuers were telling David to leave God's land, leave God's people, and go serve other gods, which, of course, David would not do. No. David wanted to live and to die in the Lord's presence. He did not want to be cut off from Israel and its public worship at the tabernacle. So why was the king of Israel coming to seek a a single flea? (laughs) Again, we're kind of deja vu, back to the cave where David had compared himself to a dead dog and to a little tiny flea. Uh, Partridge in the mount, what are you doing chasing after me? And just as in the cave, Saul acknowledges that, yes, he is in the wrong. Temporarily, right, he comes to his senses, and he probably shouts, presumably, in everyone's hearing, that he has sinned, and and he promises no more to do David harm. Again, deja vu, Saul recognizes that David had spared him again. He had treated Saul's life as precious. And Saul admits, I've acted foolishly, I've made a great mistake. Perhaps as a peace gesture then, uh, David offers to return Saul's spear, the very one that Saul had hurled at him multiple times, as well as hurling at his son Jonathan. And again, David gives the Lord credit for rewarding David's righteousness and faithfulness by giving Saul into his hand, but David would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. He had learned the lesson from Abigail, it appears, right? God's kings are to be righteous and faithful. And David continues to look to God, asking that just like Saul's life was precious in David's sight, that David's life would be precious in the Lord's sight. Not Saul's, but the Lord's sight, with the Lord delivering David out of all tribulation. See, David refuses to seize the throne on his own, and instead he waits on the Lord. God's will must be done in God's way, in God's timing. And then as they part for the last time, as recorded in Scripture, the last interaction between these two, and Saul offers a a blessing, no, David continues to trust in the Lord rather than trusting in Saul's fickle words. And how do we know that? Because at the start of chapter 27, David's internal dialogue, what he's saying to himself in his heart, is that one day he is going to die by Saul's hand. You know, never mind that the Lord has delivered David a half dozen times already and that Samuel has anointed him as the future king of Israel. No, David just, he's had some close brushes with death. And and so he says, i got to do something. I'm going to flee to Achish in Gath again. Deja vu, right back to chapter 21. We've seen this before. But he's telling himself, if I escape to the land of the Philistines, then Saul will give up on trying to hunt me down right within the borders of Israel. And I won't have any more Ziphites snitching on me, which they've done multiple times. Uh, There'll be no more of this life on the run, right? Uh, and I and my 600 men will be able to settle in somewhere, even if it's in foreign territory. Now, 
There is some debate about whether the, the word Achish was a proper name, with this Achish as the same one from earlier in chapter 21, or whether Achish was a title, kind of like Pharaoh, you know, that would be given to successive rulers. Uh, either way, though, it is definitely a deja vu trip back to Goliath's hometown of Gath. Right? David seeking refuge for his men and their households and his two wives, Ahinoam uh, of Jezreel and Abigail. Right? And the plan worked. It did work in the sense that Saul did quit pursuing David once he heard that David was in Gath. So phew, David and his men could finally enjoy a good night's sleep. But notice, notice the shift in David's perspective from what he knows to what he is doing. David knows he has been anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel, chapter 16. David knows that the Lord has delivered him from the battle with Goliath, chapter 17. David knows God has protected him from Saul's spear and from Saul's hitmen outside of his house, and from the waves of Saul's men that came to get him and ended up prophesying all in chapter 19. David knows that when he has inquired of the Lord, the Lord has always answered him and led him safely, chapter 23. David knows that Jonathan, chapter 20, and Saul, chapter 24, and Abigail, chapter 25, have all reminded him David, you will surely be king. And David knows that he can leave things in God's hands. With Saul in the cave, chapter 24. With Nabal, chapter 25. With Saul asleep in the camp, in chapter 26. Still, despite all this, David's telling himself at the start of chapter 27 that he will someday perish by Saul's hand. Now, Certainly his fear is understandable, but he's telling himself a lie. Right? He won't perish by Saul's hand, otherwise he would not become king, which God had promised him. And uh, so why, we ask, is David looking to escape in, in Philistia to find a security there rather than finding it in the Lord? And I ask myself, why do I look so often to my own plans rather than looking to the Lord? Now, maybe you see yourself in David here as well. Uh, in the words of one commentator, like David, even the strongest of us is liable to forget what we know to be true and lunge forward toward our own solutions. Instead of seeking the Lord in prayer and seeking the Lord in scripture and seeking counsel from those who know the word of the Lord, we plow ahead all by ourselves, right? Brothers and sisters, we must inquire of the Lord. Now, David and his men were apparently more the country types than the city types and uh, maybe a little more Holmes County than Cuyahoga County. Uh, after all, David's entourage seems to have been mainly uncultured fugitives, uh, a little rough around the edges, right? Probably not suited maybe to the more sophisticated life in the, the capital city-state of Gath. Uh, so David says, why, why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? But when he's asking Achish for one of the country towns as an alternative dwelling place, 
underneath it, David is really seeking freedom to act without being under the direct scrutinizing eye of Achish. And again, it works. I mean, Achish gives Ziklag to David, and he and his men live there in Philistine territory for 16 months. That's, that's a pretty long time. I mean, you take the eight months of, of the pandemic we've been experiencing since March and double that. Well, during these 16 months that David and his men, what were they up to? They're making raids against the Israelites' enemies, like the Amalekites. Right? But back in Gath, when David apparently maybe shared some of the loot with Achish, David lied about where he had been. He falsely claimed to have raided areas of Judah or those who were friendly allies of the Israelites, like the Kenites. As earlier, notice that the Bible reports David's lies here without recommending them. And David made sure that his lies never got out by totally destroying all the people whom they raided. Right? No one left to report them, men and women alike. And the lies did have the intended effect on Achish. Right? You see, Achish trusted, he believed in David. And he figured that by raiding areas of Judah and their allies, which was not true, but it's what David had told him, uh, that David made himself a stench to the Israelites, right? I mean, uh, if David had attacked the Israelites, how, how could he ever side back up with them? They, they'd never forgive him for that. So David's under my thumb forever, right? He's my permanent vassal. He is my servant always, Achish thought. Now, that was not true, but it is true that under this arrangement, David was protected. Still, right? Still, there's something missing, <laughs> In this chapter, I'm sure you found it in question five in your study binder, there are zero references, zero references to God or the Lord throughout chapter 27. We have no report of David inquiring of the Lord, but rather just him using his own reasoning, right, to flee to the Philistines and ask for an outlying town and kill all the men and women on his raids and, and then lie about whom he was raiding. David was cunning, and he was capable of doubting God, lying, protecting his own interests without God. One commentator says perceptively that by including stories such as this one and the earlier one about David's lapse of faith with Nabal and later ones as well about his adultery, his sinful census of the people, the Israelites and we, are taught that we should hope in the Davidic line despite the trouble caused by David's shortcomings. The only true hero of First and Second Samuel, just like the only true hero of the Bible, is the Lord. Right? While David is a flawed man after God's own heart, David's descendant Jesus is a sinless man who has the very heart of God. When David's life is threatened, he relies on his own wits, at least here, right? He, he heads to Philistia, asks for a town on the outskirts, kills all the possible witnesses in his raids, lies about it to the king. When Jesus' life is threatened, he relies on God the Father, right? Yielding himself to the Father's will in prayer, not my will, but yours be done, and committing his spirit into the Father's hands. 
when he's on the cross. David certainly will become Israel's most famous king, but Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's go to our great God in prayer. Father, we confess that like David, uh, we often seek our own will and we worship your son who came to do your will perfectly, even when it was so hard. We confess that like David, we do not always do what pleases you. And we worship your son who always does what pleases you 100% of the time. So we don't put our trust or our hope in any flawed human leader, but instead we put our full trust and ultimate hope in your son, Jesus. Thank you for Christ in us, the hope of glory. Through him we pray with thanks. Amen.